Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. Times get tougher even if they don't. Today is August the 7th, 2018. This is episode 2266 of the Survival Podcast. You know what I'm going to say with my weird mind. Two, two, six, six, two times three is six doubled. It's weird. I, numeric patterns. It's a thing. Anyway, 2266. Uh, it's Tuesday, so that's usually a Just Jack show. Not this week. No, because it is the first Tuesday of the month for at least the year of 2018. And we have a, a segment we've been doing or a show series we've been doing. Bug Out Trailers with Spearco and Harris. We are in the eighth month. Hence, we are Bug Out Trailers with Spearco and Harris. Part eight. Uh, you guys basically wrote a book of questions when we did the first kind of off the cuff show, and uh, it's turned into this multi part series, and it's been really great. It's been a lot on bug out trailers as intended, but a lot on preparedness in general from Steve and I coming at it from our two different viewpoints, and, and, and coming up with a lot of great stuff thanks to y'all and your great questions. Uh, today's show is going to be a little bit different, but the same. It's going to be the same but different, man, in the world, words of Tommy Chong. Um, Steve and I are going to frame today's show in a way that encompasses what's going on in California right now with all the forest fires and people actually having to really bug out. Uh, the stuff we talk about in this show, like having to leave, a lot of times you, know, you talk to people in this industry, you talk to people on forums, or you, you see debates online and stuff like that. Uh, there's there's usually two camps. There's the people that are gung-ho about bugging out all the time for any reason. And there's the people like, you never bug out. All your good stuff's at home. And again, we've been teaching since day one here at TSP that you make that decision based on the facts on the ground. And whichever one gives you the greater chance of actually surviving, not being injured, etc., that's the one that you do. Well, when a giant forest fire is about to burn your house into cinders, you get the F out. So this is a real-world example of people needing to do just that. And I'll have Steve on in a bit, and we'll talk about a lot of the questions that you guys have su submitted into this uh, series. But we are going to come at it framed from the uh, viewpoint right now of what's going on in California. Steve even has some inside uh, comments from a California fire rescue guy. And uh, so he took some extra legwork on this one and, and got some comments from behind the scenes of somebody that's actually a first responder in this. So I'll have him on in just a moment. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is RidgeWallet.com. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about bugging out today. And bugging out starts with organization and having the things that you need the most, where you need them the most, so that when you go to bug out, like some of the stuff's just taken care of already. We talk a lot about organization, checklists, etc. Um, living your life like that on a daily basis with your EDC or everyday carry is awesome as well. You know, there's things I carry on my person on a daily basis, a knife, a light, a fire striker, a multi-tool, things like that. But the thing that everybody EDCs in America today really is a wallet. And the Ridge Wallet is a multifaceted tool in that, number one, it helps you minimize what you're carrying and carrying what you really need. And number two, it helps prevent identity theft by shielding the RFID tags that are in everything, now identification, credit cards, etc., from RFID sniffing technology. They also have some other really cool stuff iPhone cases, they have a really great urban backpack for a day pack. They got backup power solutions. They're awesome. 
You can find it all at RidgeWallet.com. And if you are a member of my MSB, you do get a discount at RidgeWallet.com. So make sure you go to the benefits section and check that out before you buy. Next up today, JM Bullion. Um, I, I, I've been teaching silver and gold as part of your investment portfolio since almost the very beginning of TSP. And I'm not the guy that's like, go out and spend all your, go all in on silver and gold. I don't believe in going all in on anything. But if you look at my investment portfolio, you would see that I hold about 10% of my net wealth in silver and gold. And you wouldn't see me ever probably holding 90% in silver and gold. The majority of my investments are, in fact, in securities, uh, because that is the easiest and, and best way and most liquid way to invest in your long-term investments. And I think it's really important you pick the right ones and have a good advisor, etc. But that is where the majority of my money goes. But as you build more and more wealth in your life, you want to have an insurance policy against the rest of it. And silver and gold is a great way to do that. You know, we have thousands of years of history of them being used as money, never being worth nothing. Uh, the worse inflation gets, the better they do. And they're, to this day, the most anonymous form of wealth you can have especially guaranteed wealth, which means that wealth can be transferred to your heirs, to your family, to your friends, to whoever you want to at any time, and it's nobody's business at all. Now, people say it's supposed to be their business, but what people say supposed to be their business ain't their business. And we have a saying down here in Texas. It's between me and you and the fence post. And that's, that's what I love about silver and gold, on top of all the other great reasons to be invested in it. So check out JM Bullion. And the reason I would tell you to go there is the whole point of silver and gold is it's the same. It's the same. It's all the same. So why would you pay more, or why would you deal with a big company where if something goes wrong, you have to deal with some 15th level tech support moron who can't do anything? You go to JM Bullion, you get free shipping on all your orders. If you're an MSB member, you get discounts. If anything does go wrong, it hasn't for years, but if anything does go wrong you, you, and you don't get immediate satisfaction from them, you pop me an email, I get directly in touch with the president, and your problem gets solved. Who else can do that in this industry for you? I, I don't really know anyone else that can other than J.M. Bullion. And then the fact that they have pricing that's as good or better as everybody else out there. I, I, I can't make myself buy somewhere else. And with free shipping, I'm better off buying from J.M. Bullion than the silver guy down the street. I'll tell you what, I buy my silver and gold at Jam Bullion, and I think you should too. With that, let's uh, take a look at the year in history. The year in history, or yeah, this this day in history, because we're not doing a year in history until uh, until David Verne gets back. And it's another one of those days in history where a lot happened. Uh, Congress passed the Gulf of Tonkin resolution uh, on August seventh. Uh, Volkswagen halted production in 1944 uh, for World War II. It was a wood raft that made a 4,300-mile voyage in 1947. And General George Washington created the Purple Heart. Um, so there was a lot that went on uh, on this day. It's one of those days where you, you have a lot to pick from. The thing I picked was not really seen as that huge of a deal by the general public when it happened, though it was a complete shift in how the world would work forever. It happened in 1959. A U.S. satellite photographed the Earth 
From the Atlantic Missile Range in Cape Canaveral, Florida, the U.S. unmanned spacecraft known as Explorer 6 was launched into orbit around the Earth. The spacecraft, commonly known as the Paddlewheel Satellite, featured a photocell scanner that transmitted a crude picture of the Earth's surface and cloud cover from a distance of 17,000 miles. The photo received in Hawaii took nearly 40 minutes to transmit. Released by NASA in September, the, photograph, the first photograph ever taken of the Earth by a U.S. satellite depicted a crescent shape uh, of part of the planet in sunlight. It was Mexico. Captured by Explorer 6 as it raced westward over the Earth at speeds in excess of 20,000 miles an hour. And you might think that this really would hit people, that would resonate with people. I mean, we were in the middle of the Cold War, space race was taking off, all kinds of things were going on. And here's a picture of the Earth. Well, if you look up the picture, you'll see why it kind of landed with a wah-wah. It looks like somebody took and made an etching of a very crude wing shape on, on, on something that would be you know, like a black plate with a, a light-colored background and just used a car key. It is really what it looks like. And it took 40 minutes to transmit that image from that satellite down to Hawaii be decrypted and put back together. And so when people saw this, it was kind of like, well, yeah, okay. That, that's, that's not you. You expect a picture of Earth. I mean, understand, no one had ever seen a picture of our planet before. The reason I picked this one, though, is it shows how quickly one thing leads to another in the world of technology. It wasn't long after this that real pictures of the Earth started showing up and changed the way mankind viewed the planet forever. And it wasn't long after this that we got earnest about men in space. And it was less than 10 years. Because this again happened on this day, August 7th, 1959. Well, on July 16th, 1969, slightly less than 10 years later, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin... And Michael Collins were the first astronauts on Apollo 7. Four days later, Armstrong and Aldrin landed on the moon. They landed on the moon in a lunar module. And again, in 1969. And at that point, it was July 20th, 1969. So we went from this thing that looks like some kid made it in school or some modern artist tried to make something out of nothing to walking on the moon in less than 10 years. That's how fast technology changed. And today, most of our communications, there's something to do with satellites involved with them. And we're able to have the ability to know where we are at all times, everywhere, and get you know directions down to a couple feet thanks to satellites. When it comes to the new things like we've been talking about with automation, uh, computers, new technologies and energy... We're at a point where it's about to do this. The next 10 years will blow your mind. It will be such that if you would go back right now to about 1995 and bring a person forward to 2018, they would be like, wow, there's some pretty cool stuff. But they wouldn't be like, I don't recognize this place. Everything would be, oh, you're, you're, you, you can get on the internet now without waiting for me, you know, whatever. You don't have to wait for a picture to download slowly, but it, they would just like, you know, it kind of looks the same. Ten years from now, you go back to 1995 and bring someone into the future, 
you'd have to explain a hell of a lot more to them about what's going on. That's what's coming. That's what we need to stay prepared for and flexible with in our lives. With that, let's go ahead and bring on our special guest now, returning to the Survival Podcast for God knows how many times, but eight times in this series, Stephen Harris. Hey, Steve, man, welcome back to the Survival Podcast. Oh, I'm loving it, Jack. And uh, we got some email coming up that we're going to read that uh, other people are loving it, too. And you and I talked and decided since the California and other wildfires were such a big issue going on in the news that we should make an episode devoted to helping people with wildfire and issues where they got to leave right now. You got five minutes. Yeah, I mean, I, I in the intro for today's show, I said, you know, it, it makes sense that we would specifically bring in uh, the California fires that are going on right now to frame this because there's a lot of people that I, I think are still in that mentality of, I'm not bugging out. Well, when your house is about to be burned to cinders, you are. Uh, and, and this is a real-world example of a situation where you've got to go. Uh, you actually got in touch with uh, someone at Cal Fire, right, and, and to discuss this a little further. Yeah, I did. Uh, there's a longtime listener and fan of the show and a fan of the Bug Out Trailer show. In fact, he has a camper that is a Bug Out Trailer, and it has been modified because of you and I. And this is like a senior Cal Fire guy. And uh, he has to remain anonymous because of the bureaucracy. But I said, look, I, I need some like, I need some straight dope directly from you on what people need to do and what can help people. Because you're a professional on the inside. What mistakes are people making? What are people doing right? What happens? And I said, this will get out there to over 100,000 people. And it's like, we just don't know how many people will help. And he says, okay, I'm in. And he and I had an over an hour rambling conversation on, on all different subjects. And I kind of took my notes and put them in sequence and order and made a format to them so we could have it as a show. But there's something he said that everyone listening is going to remember. Quote, there are times when nothing is going to prevent your death if you stay. Hmm. Nothing. If you stay, you are dead. You are going to die a fiery death or smoke inhalation. You know, and there, it's not just fires that do that. There was... Uh one of the recent hurricanes a couple of years ago that, that hit Galveston, I don't remember which one it was, but that was basically the message from the authorities down there, was like, if you stay, you're going to die. Right, exactly. Uh, they told people to take a Sharpie and write their Social Security number on their arm so when they find their body, they got some way of identifying it. You remember from Star Wars, uh, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, when Luke came back to the house after the stormtroopers showed up, and it's just the skeletons laying outside smoking? Yeah. That's you after a forest fire. Yeah. It's it, it's scary stuff, too. We've had a, a a bunch of close calls around here lately. We're in the most severe stage of drought you can be in. Uh, they might have to invent a new one, I, I, I hear. Uh, everything is dry. 
my back neighbor almost set the whole daggone neighborhood on fire. And on uh, 4th of July weekend, Steve, we had an idiot drive by shooting fireworks out of a window and almost burned down the uh, the home across the street from ours. Fortunately, uh, my nephew, my son, and I were all out front when it happened, and we immediately had hoses out there and put it out. But it, this is a real thing. It didn't happen anywhere. I know it's not really your thing because you, you, you're like in Michigan. It, you don't get a lot mm -hmm. of these there, do you? No. No, no. I've never had a fire situation. I think I heard of one fire in Michigan in my life that was an issue, and that was it. Um, didn't get them either when I was in in Pennsylvania in the past tense. And no, I just, I, I don't have an appreciation and understanding, which is why I had to reach out to the Cal Fire guy. It's like, let me get in your head. Let me try to put myself into these people. And I asked him questions as if I was moving out to California. I never would, but that's how, <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's how, that's how I, I asked him was like, what about this? And what about that? And he says, there are neighborhoods that are just death traps and the fire people won't even go in. Fire people won't do it. It's just a write off. It's, it's if we go in there, we'll get killed. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. I mean, we had another close call when I was in Arkansas. Actually, this guy had almost set the mountain on fire three times. And there was a, uh, a local guy that did grading work and stuff with a bulldozer. And uh, the last time he did it, he jumped on his bulldozer and started pushing brakes in. And if it hadn't been for him, I mean, the fire department would have never got there before. Probably multiple homes would have been lost. And uh, we, we fixed that guy's problem by explaining to him that the next time he did something like that, we were going to bulldoze his house as part of a fire break. And, uh, <laughs> so he stopped doing that. But, I mean, there are people that I don't think really get it. You sent me this... this uh, video of this mm -hmm. lady that was really upset blaming the fire department for only giving her five minutes of notice. I want to play that now and then uh, I will get your thoughts on it. I'll give you mine as we move on. So we'll hold on right here and uh, just wait a second. We'll get this played for the audience. I lost it all. Every bit of it. Two stars. Two passes. Two passes. It's just been devastating. So hard. I just can't get my mind around because I lost everything. I mean, they gave you like five minutes to get out. Well, what do you grab in five minutes? So, Steve, what what are your thoughts when you hear something like that? Well, first, I was really pissed. Um, it, it was just her attitude coming through of, "What can you do in five minutes?" and She might have been blaming Cal Fire. It just might have been the way she was talking. Sounded like one of those people from California that wanted the government to come by and say, Ma'am, there's going to be a fire in five days. Can uh, the FEMA trucks please move everything out of your house for you? So I want to make sure I'm not misinterpreting that. But my first impression was, She, she's not taking her own preparedness, her own life, her own safety in her own hands. She's expecting everyone else to do it for her. And it's it, it, it's up to you. If, you. if There's no one else who's going to do it for you. If you don't do it, no one else is going to, and the result can be your death. Yeah, I what mean, if they, go what ahead. if they didn't warn her? What yeah. if they didn't warn her? Yeah. I, I mean, I look at it this way, like, on one hand, I feel the same way, and I just see, like, people's entitlement attitude, and 
Then the other side of it, I realized after doing this now for over 10 years, that there's a huge thing in people uh, we've referred to as normalcy bias. And this is why they believe everybody else can get cancer, but they never will. You know, or everybody mm -hmm. else should worry about what they eat, but they don't have to. Yeah. And so she doesn't think that, well, you know, all these fires are going to happen. They're all horrible. And if you live out there and you've heard this all the time and it's always been somebody else's problem and never yours, you, know, you reinforce that normalcy bias, especially if you have a predisposition for it. Then I try to always at least realize that the news goes out and finds people on their worst day. And yep. it seems like their goal is to show them at their worst. Yeah. Right? So, and, and then you're angry. Like, not only does she only have five minutes to get all her stuff, at this point, I think the normalcy bias is cracked. Mm -hmm. And you realize that your house probably not going to be there when you get back, and you're angry. Yep. And, you know, it's like the person who's angry at the doctor when their kid dies in the ER, and the doctor did everything they could, but that's the person they can be angry at. So I think it's a mix of that. I think the important thing, though, is to learn from it. Um, you know, there's just the, the, the concept that we don't have in our society today a, you know, basically a blueprint for this type of thing, that we're not teaching uh, people at, at a young age to be prepared for things like this. I mean, I don't know about you. I remember in grade school, you know, in like health class, having, you know, lessons about it, not, not like this kind of fire, but if there's a fire at your house, what to do. Go right. home and talk to your parents about it and what have you. And I, I think parents should be the ones leading that. But like, it seems like anything that's a life skill has been just removed from our young people. Now, this lady, you know, I, I don't know how old she is, but she looks older than me. I, I don't know that age gets to be an excuse there, but uh, I think the big takeaway from it is this could be you, even if you don't think it can. Because I guarantee you, if you asked this woman two months ago if this could be her, she'd said no. And if you would have shown her somebody doing this behavior she's exhibiting, she probably would have had a negative view of them. Yeah. I think the, you're right. The media caught someone at their worst point on their worst day, and she is going through grief, and she's angry because she lost her house. You know, It's not why did the overworked firefighters who there aren't enough of, the police department and sheriff department, who are working 12 to 20 hours a day, give me only five minutes notice. Well, he, the, the Cal Fire guy said the best. He goes, "We the Cal Fire guy and I talked about this. He says, when a fire just starts, it just breaks out. It just happens. And they arrive on the scene. They will go house to house or they'll tell the police and sheriff to go house to house and tell the people, get out. In, in this situation where it just started, you may very well have been told you only have five minutes to get out. And it's through no fault of your own or lack of vigilance that you got such a short notice. But right now, these fires... They're covered on a 24-7 basis by the local news. They got live helicopters up. They're tracking all the fires. We'll talk about the Twitter feeds and everything else, but if the fire is already going and it's going towards in your direction, you got no reason not to know that you could be in jeopardy. And I think people don't understand how fast these things move. Um, it, it, it could go a mile in a day, or it could go. It could switch over and go a mile in in an hour or minutes. In minutes, absolutely. We had a grass grass fire breakout here. When I say grass fire breakout, I don't mean a grass fire. I mean multiple grass fires. So a grass fire breakout, like a storm of grass fires, 
about five years ago. One moved through an area so quickly, it burned a telegraph pole in half. Mm -hmm. So that the, the, the top of the pole was dangling and suspended by the wires. As though somebody had taken a giant acetylene torch and blown out about a four-foot piece of the pole. Oh, wow. I mean, and if you've ever set, like, a old piece of telephone or telegraph pole on fire, it takes a lot to burn one of those. Uh, and that was a grass fire. And, you know, this is why we've put so much emphasis on the bug-out trailer shows. In that instance, even if you're, you know, that, that lady is probably stuck there by herself, if you're prepared, you hook up and leave. Yep. And the number one thing on the inside door of your bug-out trailer, a bug-out checklist of stuff to get from the house. Because mm -hmm. it's 3 a.m., you just woke up by a deputy pounding on your door, and, and you're still groggy in a bit of, of shock, and then you're angry like this lady was. And I, I try to explain to people this way. I go hunting a few times a year, mm -hmm. and it's me and a bunch of buddies, and we're going out to basically hunt during the day and drink beer at night and, and tell stories and lies and just kick back. It's a pretty chill thing. It's not something I get really worked up about. It, the whole point is to relax. I'll start a week in advance of that, even though I kind of have a running checklist and everything. I'm, you know, this year I've got a new gun, or I want to try this. or I'll, And I make sure that every single thing I'm taking on that hunting trip is on a list, because I know me, and I'll forget. And once, mm -hmm. you're, once you're there, you know, I don't exactly hunt in my backyard, so coming back's a pain in the ass. Now, if, if I'm likely to forget something that I really want to have with me, I, maybe I don't even need it. I just want to have it with me. When I am going out on a completely relaxed situation to hang out with my friends, what are the odds that someone who is in a stress situation with a sheriff banging on the door at 3 a.m. without a list is going to forget something important? Yep. Very, very. When um, my father passed away, My mother was in such grief she could not remember my phone number. I you know, the, when when things of stress happen to you, funny things happen. You get auditory exclusion, you get time distortion, you get all sorts of uh, physical, uh, not physical, psychological effects to the human body. And you, some people, their minds will just go blank and they can't think of anything or what to do and. They just they end up leaving things behind. That's why we got the checklist. And the checklist has turned out to be something really good. In fact, I got an email from one of our viewers just before I started making the notes for the show. And it's one of those nice letters that you and I get occasionally. And the guy writes, Jack and Steve, can you all... <laughs> I know. Can y'all possibly talk about the mental the mental preparedness needed to bug out? I can't thank you enough for this bug out trailer series. Just last week I had a wildfire literally up my back forty with an evacuation order and intimate threat. I was able to refer to my bug out list. And within 15 minutes, I was ready to go. In fact, I was so ready to go, myself and about a half dozen other community members went up and down our, our road helping folks grab their stuff and get out. 
it blew my mind how many people had never considered having to get out of harm's way. But worse, there are many that were either wanting to take everything or stay and try to fight this massive fire off with a garden hose. We had 18 aircraft dumping everything they could to slow this thing down, yet some people thought, my garden hose should work. I was very fortunate that my wife and kids happened to be out of town visiting other family, so that wasn't a concern to me. So my personal mentality was grab my papers, computer and photos, and let insurance handle the rest. I don't have a bug-out trailer yet, but because of this series, I have been planning, prepping, and have developed my own personal checklist for me. So I wanted to be as ready as I would have preferred, but I was leaps and bounds ahead of my neighbors. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Will in Idaho. Jack, that's a hell of a letter. You and I get these, and honestly, they melt my heart. I know we're supposed to be the experts, but it's still, wow, someone actually took my advice when I get one of these emails. It still shocks me. It's like, wow, someone did what I was talking about. Holy, wow. Um, it still does that to me. What do you have to say about the, his question of can we talk about the mental preparedness and mindset needed to bug out, especially as we're talking about fires here? You know, and I, I don't think people maybe need to go to this extreme with, uh, with stress. But when I was in the military, uh, one of the certifications I had to get because I was in an aviation unit was uh, an, an air escape and evasion certification. And a possibility, especially being in a place like Panama, was you know a helicopter could crash in the water. Mm-hmm. So we had different ways that we were put in the water. One was actually with like a fuselage, and that really sucked. But um, the the first one was basically you're on like a, a a three meter board, so about nine feet in the air, with a blindfold, a full pack, boots, and a, a dummy rifle because they really don't want you submerging your actual rifle, and they just <laughs> throw you off of it. And I mean, you've got all this weight and everything, and you're in the middle of this pool and you know, your, your first response is to freak out. And what you need to do is, you're, you're actually quite buoyant in that situation, believe it or not, is to relax and get the, get the blindfold out. And then you don't need to swim on the surface with your head above the water completely. You just need to be able to breathe. So you breathe and you work your way to the side. You get your pack off and you have to take your pack off and hand it out and then you you know they, they help you out. They have another one where they put you in there. You basically end up taking your pants off, tying knots in them, and turn them into water wings so that mm-hmm. you can float. And when we were doing this, I remember there were people that were very upset that we had to do this. And they're like, you know, why do they have to put us through this? And it's like because if you are in one of these helicopters and it crashes, you, you, don't, you don't get to call time out. You don't get to say, oh, wait, this is, I, you know, I wasn't trained for this, so I need somebody to do it for me. You have to be able to relax in this stressful situation and do what you know you need to do. And if you've never experienced it, then when it does happen, you're going to probably overreact. So I think 
mental preparedness for bugging out, one of the most important things you can do is put yourself in the situation of having to do it. Now, you don't have to go full tilt bore and run off into the woods somewhere and do a three-day camping trip as part of it. Sure can if you want to, but I also kind of think back in my military experiences, it's kind of like an alert, right? So we would have alerts, which would mean wherever you were, and this could be after hours, you know, some form of contact would go out. Report to the company, and you, you get there. And sometimes it would be go grab your stuff like you're going to deploy and, and stand at attention and, and, and get briefed and get a head count of everybody, and then they'd go, okay, bye, go back to your life, go back to work, go back to your life, whatever. And then there were other times, you know, we'd actually load up on aircraft and, and, and simulate leaving or actually go into a field training exercise that only, you know, you have to have some people in the company kind of know what's coming, but most of the people in the company didn't even know what was coming. And those made us ready because if those orders ever came, like, this is immediate now. And, mm -hmm. and again, being an aviation unit in Central America, that can and did happen at times. I think that, that one of the best things you can do to be mentally prepared, in addition to things like we've talked about so far with these types of checklists is pretend you have to bug out. Pretend yep. you have to bug out and actually do it. Like hook the trailer up, you know, and then even if you don't go anywhere, I'll say, okay, now I'm going to go through everything and I'm going to figure out what I screwed up. Because the other thing the military taught me, your first inspections, you will screw something up. Literally, mm -hmm. if you don't screw something up, they'll mess it up to say that you did. <laughs> But they don't have to do that very often because your first attempts at things generally are not as good as your tenth. Mm -hmm. And the more times you can put yourself through this scenario, both physically and actually doing it, mm -hmm. but the mental thing's even bigger. I mean, you can do a mental exercise with this anytime you want. When you happen to be, you have your bug out trailer ready to go and everything, and you hear a news story like this, and you see this going on, you see this lady screaming on TV, and it's easy to sit back and go, ah, whatever. Okay, just say to yourself right now, okay, that knock just came for me. What am I going to do now? Right. Especially if it is happens to be, like, on the news. This is actually better because you don't have time. Like, let that be a mental stimulus that mm -hmm. kicks that response in. Because otherwise, you're cheating. Yep. Right? You're cheating because you're like, oh, you know. And that happened with the alerts occasionally, like one of the, you know, like staff starts to find out, go, hey, guys, there's going to be an alert tomorrow. You know, and you were always happy that you knew, but, like, it really did kind of rob you of the training. Mm -hmm. So if you let that just be like, hey, if something comes up like this, when it comes up, I'm going to think it's right now. So you've just had your day, right? Think about this. You've just had your day. Mm -hmm. The kids have been bouncing around because it's been summertime, so they've been around the house all day, and it's a Saturday, and you finally got the steak done. And you got a beer, and instead of sitting at the, the table, you're going to go sit on the couch, and you flip on the news, and this news story comes on. I don't expect you to throw your steak on the ground and, and run and act like hysterics in, in a, in a full-on alert mode, but if you at that moment think, okay, I'm sitting here, the kids are over there, and this is how because this is how it's going to actually be. Yes. No, it's not like you know God's going to phone you up and go, hey, Steve, guess what? Tomorrow there's going to be a fire. So you need to start preparing now, and you need to part at 8 o'clock in the morning tomorrow morning. That's not how it's going to work. So I think getting yourself in that mental exercise state is, is one of the best things you can do. What, what do you say? If you're going to find yourself in a couple days standing down your street looking back at the burned remnants of your house with only chimneys standing there, and you're going to be telling yourself, if I only knew, wake up, you now know, we're telling you right now. 
go do the exercise. People uh, ask me, it's like, how do I get ready for a power failure or disaster? Go get a notebook and a pen and go throw the breakers on your uh, power panel. Turn off the power to your house. Start, start writing down what's missing. Start writing down what you need. And then an hour later, go turn the power back on. Then get those items, practice with them, play with them. Go throw the power off again the next weekend and do the same thing. This time you go five hours. But do the same thing. Get a notebook and a pen. You see it on the TV and it's like, okay, what if this was me? And, you know, there's the kids and you walk around the house and it's like, okay, every kid needs to have a bag with like one days of clothes and two days of underwear in it. Uh, and we need some spare toothbrushes and toothpaste for the kids. And, uh, oh, there, I got an, I got my son's old teddy bear. I'll throw that in there. Let's see, uh, we need, uh, dog food and some things of water in the dog bowls for the dog. The cat carrier for the cat. Let's see, yeah, I know where that is. That's, I can see that. That's in the corner of the garage. And you just go through. And you you write this stuff down, and you write down my guns. And so you, last thing before you, it's like, hey, I ain't leaving my guns to burn. I'm taking my guns. <laughs> so you do that mental exercise. I can't tell you the list of things to take because I'm not you. I have different stuff, and I have different priorities, and, and, and I don't even know what your disaster is. Is it something where you're going to be gone for a week or a month or a day? All of that changes everything. I think another thing that you really have to do for mental preparedness, and I know some people have a reluctant spouse and all, but you do need to have these conversations because, okay, imagine this. You, you, you get this, this knock on your door. You're told you have five minutes to get out. Your wife's taking a shower. Yep. I don't mean to put women down, but do you know what the number one thing you're probably going to hear when you say we've got to go now is I'll be done in a couple minutes. Yes. No, no, you don't get, I understand that like when I want to go out to eat and I'm hungry and I have to wait because you're getting ready, then I have to wait. But when you get somebody on your door saying there's fire there, you don't get a few minutes. And that's not a, that's not a, and that's, that's everybody in the home. That's, that's not just a woman thing. I don't mean it that way. I'm just like, I'm coming from the male perspective. There has to be some level of mentality that there could be something that when this happens, the movement has to be instant. And, mm -hmm. and you always compare it to a car coming down the road. There's a point that you see a car barreling at you. You don't worry about the fact that you might land in some stickers. You jump because the yeah. alternative is worse. And what we're trying to do with this type of preparedness with bugging out planning is to make it where you don't have to go into the book of, of, of the, 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 uh, the briars, right? But yeah. if you do then go in the freaking briars, right? I mean, there has to be a willingness to commit at some point and go. And that's a huge part of the mental preparedness. It's not just being able to do it well, but being willing to do it. Being willing to do like when you're told or when you, and, and I think in most instances, not all, because there are the fires that just spring up, but if you're in, in, in these parts of California right now and you haven't been told to go yet, you should be paying attention and you should probably make the call before you're told. Yeah. What does is, what is your Cal Fire guy say about that? Cal Fire guy says, um, he said, if you think you should be gone, if you, if you think you're in trouble, get out. 
He says, if you're even concerned about it, just get out. You'll, you'll be back home in an hour or a day or something. Just, just, just get your stuff and, and leave because the one thing you can take with you is your life. And if you lose that, you, you're not getting that back. So even if you leave with just your life, which is a whole nother show, you know, everyday care, everyday carry stuff we can talk about in case you have to leave in 10 seconds. But he says, yeah, he says uh, there was a, a retired couple. He was just counseling, consoling the other day, and they said, well, at least we're alive. They got out with nothing, shirts on their backs, literally, but they had the attitude of at least we're alive. And there are a lot of other people throughout the history of fires in California who are not alive. So you know what, guys? Listen, we, we talk about life and death situations. This is a life and death situation we're talking about. And your mental preparedness, and you know, the most important thing about the Bug Out Trailer Show should be what we're talking about, and that is planning the, planning the bug out, planning the exercise, planning the event. That's the most important thing of the Bug Out Trailer is your planning that went into the Bug Out Trailer and what the, how to put into it and what to take and your checklist and everything. That's the most important thing. But the Cal Fire guys, the most important thing is you got to have situational awareness. You have to be switched on. You have to be alive, know that you're living, and you have to be vigilant. And it's like, there's the instance where it's like, okay, someone gets a flat tire, runs over their tire, starts a fire, and the fire just happened. It's moving up the hill towards your house, and they knock on your door. But everyone else, this is a yearly event mm-hmm. that happens every year. And everyone knows it's going to happen. And the news is covering it 24-7. One of the biggest things you can do is, like, listen to your scanner. You can listen to Cal Fire, the local sheriff and police, and you get a great deal of immediate information in that way. They got Twitter feeds. Sometimes just for the fire, they got Twitter feed or a handle. Every department has its own Twitter feed. The sheriff does, the police does, the local fire. They all got their own Twitter feeds. Uh, you can follow things on Facebook. Um, the local sheriff, the fire department, sometimes even they even had a constant contact email sign up. You could sign up for stuff with the Reading Fire and everything else, and they'd push an email to you to say, blah x and blah y you can contact your emergency services or sheriff department get the local frequencies but do this in advance know this information before it happens obviously you can't know the twitter feed for the incident before it happens but you can get onto the twitter feed of your local fire and sheriff department and get pertinent information. These fires can change from a mile in a day to a mile in an hour to a mile in minutes due to changing weather situations. He also said the Forest Service and National Weather Service have a warning system of high-risk days. Now, this is just more than weather.gov and red flag days for different counties when the situations are right. Uh, he said, go and search for ONCC weather. That's Oscar, November, Charlie, Charlie, weather. And search Google for that, and I did it. 
it brings up the Northern Regional CAL FIRE website, and from there you can get into their links to their predictive services that they have for fuel load, dryness, moisture level, current weather, upcoming weather days, and, and they actually get really sophisticated into prediction. So you can know it's like the next three days are going to be really, really high-risk fire days. Uh, with lightning or without lightning or just with stupid idiots shooting fireworks out of their pickup truck. It doesn't take much. <laughs> uh, the fires, they developed their own airflow air patterns. So we saw this with the fire NATO that just happened. Things can move quickly, faster than predicted. They actually measured 140 mile per hour winds in that big Reading fire. There were interstate electrical transmission towers crumpled over, and people thought they were crumpled over from the heat of the fire. They weren't. They were crumpled over and blown over from the wind generated by the fire. So one fire can cause very widespread power outages, especially on a hot, dry summer day. You might not be affected by the fire, but by the blackout from the fire. Then... Once you're in the blackout from the fire, you still have power to monitor all your electronic devices about the fire because your power is off, which is a great case for the Steve Harris, Jack Spierko, how to power your house from your car TSP show we did a couple years ago. Absolutely. Um, you know, there... When we start thinking about all this, what we have to realize is that this is not really about fires, I guess is where I'm trying to go with this. As I'm sitting here listening to you talk about this and all the different things that can happen with a fire, and, and fires do create, as you said, kind of their own weather systems. Mm -hmm. they, they'll change direction. They'll intensify. And once they do things like you talked about, like a fire NATO or something, this is not a, a bad movie with Mark Cuban in it, right? This is a, a real thing. As they begin to do this, they actually increase their intensity. They actually fuel themselves at, at, with, with air, and then that allows them to use that solid fuel. But there are so many different types of disasters that this applies to. Anything that requires you to leave, and I, I, I'm definitely in agreement with your guy out there, on the scanner applications uh, or scanner itself, that like the knowledge of what's going on is huge, and then the ability to run devices and stay informed is massive, Steve. Because without that, you're kind of going blind, and you can go to take that evac route. Remember, our the, the rules of threes I have for evacuation are three destinations and three routes each, because right, you don't exactly. know which one's going to be compromised. So you might be using, you know, evacuation route one, uh, route alpha, and you might need to know that that's no longer an option. And if you don't have a way to do that once you've left, you know, and I know some people are going to say, well, where I live, there's one way out. Then you better, like when people tell me that, I'm like, well, then you better jump quick. Yep. Right? Because if you only have one way out, And then the other thing with that is a lot of times people say that, like, you only have one way out to a point. Right. And then that, there's a place where that's going to bifurcate or trifurcate, and you have two or three different ways you can go. You need to start your planning there and follow those routes all the way out so you know what to do in those types of situations. Go back to the TSP Bug Out Trailer Show where you and I talked about maps and map study and map planning. 
Now, listen to what listen to what Jack's saying. Three routes, three destinations. Three destinations, three routes each. Yes. Yep. Yeah, oh, three routes each to th- uh, three different destinations. Nice. Yeah, because you don't so know. Where not, nine, nine different routes. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, it, you know, you can plot all of that on Google Maps. You can print that out. You can make notes. Uh, if you go back way, way back into the, you know, like episode 150 or something like that, uh, if you just search the site for documentation, uh, I did. I covered that all the way back in 2008 or 2009 on the documentation package, and I recommend a three-ring binder for that. Not everything has to be in electronics, and that's in your vehicles with an S, as in if you have three vehicles, you have three copies of it. You do it on a computer because then you do it just like we used to update technical manuals in the military. They didn't right. print a whole new manual. You would get the updates, and if you had right. ten manuals in the shop, you got ten updates. And it would say, remove these pages and stick these pages in there or add this page at the end, you know, the end of Section 6. And that's what you do. When you make a change, you go out to the vehicles, you bring them all in, you put your new pages in, you throw your old pages away. And then that way, when your 17-year-old daughter is you know, in her first class in junior college and this happens and she's on her cell phone freaking the hell out and she wants you to come get her, and that is not in either of your best interests, you can say, turn to page 7, see that map right there, this is where you are, you're going to go this way, you're going to follow that, you see that location along the way marked A, I'm going to meet you there, we're going to stay in touch on that, that's where we're going to meet. And then what you just did is you took that panic and you threw an off switch to it. Because the number, and I know you you do uh, you know volunteer law enforcement or, or I guess reserve law enforcement or things yep. like that. The number one thing people need when they're freaking out is someone to sound like they know what the hell they're talking about. Oh yeah. And give them a clear directive of what to do. And most people, if you actually do know and sound like you know what you're talking about, and give them a reasonable course of action, absent anything else, they will take it, and they will take yeah. it every time. And once you get moving together. You know, you're on you're on the same page. Yeah, we called it, you know, tell them in your cop voice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it works much uh, yeah. better than a school teacher voice, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you enunciate. You enunciate clearly and distinctive. And what, we're, what all law enforcement is after is what we call voluntary compliance. We just want you to do whatever we're telling you that we want you to do. And it's like, okay. That's the number one thing is voluntary compliance. So don't ask for stupid, unreasonable stuff. Ask them to do something reasonable, and they'll go, okay, I'll do that. And they go, okay, so, you know, step number one done. Someone was trying to make an analogy to me, and they said, you can't jump out of an airplane without a parachute. I go, yeah, you can. They go, really? How? I go, you can do it once. <laughs> oh, you so, can do it after it crashes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you can do it over, over water oh. close to stall speed. There's there's more than one way to get out of an airplane. How long How long is the plane going to stay in the air? All the way to the scene of the crash. All the way to the scene of the crash. That's, that's, that's a Ron White thing there. Um, now, <laughs> so there, there are neighborhoods out there that are complete death traps. 
You know, that's what this is from the Cal Fire guy. There are complete death traps. The fire departments won't even try to fight fires in there. They won't even go in there. We're talking about narrow single lane roads, only one way in, one way out, vegetation all around you, bad construction, bad water supply, uncoordinated development like places that started in the 1800s as a gold town and then and then they then they flourished. So don't forget about what we just said. You can jump out of an airplane uh, without a parachute, but you can only do it once. If you go to jump out of your airplane, you go to drive out of your neighborhood, make sure you got enough time to pull the ripcord on your parachute. Because if you don't leave soon enough and you find yourself blocked in about blocked in with fire, you can't use the ripcord on your parachute. So you might be ready to bug out and everything else and it's like you leave too late and you're trapped you can't use your parachute and you're going to bounce off the ground and to repeat the quote from the cal fire guy there are times when nothing is going to prevent your death if you stay quote unquote in five minutes you can take your life with you that might be it you take pictures of your pictures you know before a fire and store them in the cloud your important documents in fact there's a if you're like oh i don't want to put my you know such and such bank statements and everything else up in the cloud there's a great application for multi-platforms out there called veracrypt v-e-r-a-c-r-y-p-t and you can say okay i want a little 100 megabyte veracrypt uh, temporary hard drive. You run Veracrypt and you enter a password and you create this, this little temporary, this little file and it's a Veracrypt file. You say open it up and it opens it up and mounts it as a hard drive and you can copy all your documents into it and then cl- close it, unmount it and you have this file. I think it's a .h file and uh, you can then copy that up to the cloud and that can have pictures of your cat in it and everything else that you think is sensitive and no one can read it no one can get into it yet it's still up on the cloud and you can still access it so if you got those concerns use veracrypt other than that get your stuff up to the cloud to your google account get a free google drive put your pictures up there get copies and pictures and scans of your important documents your birth certificates your uh, house title, your insurance policies, your important, your important phone numbers, get those all up there so you can get to them from anyone's phone and log into your Gmail account. Think about it. It's like, oh, you, you need a copy of your driver's license. You need something. It's like, excuse me, can, uh, can officer, can I borrow your phone? Tap, 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 tap. Gmail, tap, tap, tap. Google Drive, tap, tap, tap. Picture of my driver's license. Here you go. There it is. Sorry, I lost it in the evacuation. Um, I got a new stupid phrase for the Weather Channel, invented by invented by me. Because I, I really hate some of the stuff they have, like, you know, turn around, don't drown. You hear it over and over and over. So here's the Harris phrase. If you think you're in danger, don't doubt, bug out. I like it. I like it. I'm sure that if they actually picked it up and ran with it after about the 15th time, I'd want to kill myself and jump out a window when I heard it. But I I do like it. The reason that turn around, don't drown has become something that makes you want to shoot yourself is because you know it and you know it and you know it and you don't want to hear it again. But you know what that means? You know it. Mm -hmm. That's what that means. That means you know it. And you know what? 
people fail to do it all the time. Yep. People fail to do it all the time. We had, and it was, I felt terrible for the guy. He, he almost died, but it was a cob. And the water wasn't that high, but he didn't turn around and not drown. And what he didn't know, this was during a tornado outbreak down south of here, down toward Granbury, Texas. The, the road had washed out. So while the water only looked like it was a few inches deep, it was a hole bigger than his cruiser, and the car went in the hole. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, fortunately, he was able to bust a window and get out of there, but he, he was in bad. There was some people around there that helped him. He was in bad, bad shape. You know, even knowing what to do, he was in bad shape. Jack, when I was wearing the uniform, I had 26 pounds of gear on me. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's 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 a little bit of an impediment. Yeah. Gun, bullets, baton, handcuffs, boots, uh, bulletproof vest, that'll all sink you. Now, speaking of, if you think you are in danger, don't doubt, bug out. Depending upon how long the fire is, is going, if it just happened, uh, you got even, a lot of popular evacuation places in California and the West are going to be high schools, schools, uh, churches. Those are church parking lots. Uh, those are all going to be popular places. And it's all going to be coordinated. The Red Cross is eventually going to show up in hours or a day or so with food trucks and cots and who knows, depending upon the type of shelter. But you might be arriving at the school before anyone else knocking on the on the door and the janitor lets you in. He says, hey, there's a fire. People are coming here. Janitor lets you in, turns on the AC, turns on the lights to the gym. And you find yourself sitting on the floor in the middle of the gym, gym wondering, what do I do now? How long is the battery in my cell phone going to last? Which, if you have my stuff I've done with Jack, you'll never have to worry about that. And um, you got the locker rooms. So you got bathrooms and showers, and that's it, which is a great argument to have your own bug-out trailer with your own stuff in it. Well, and I, I think we've kind of covered this, but I, I, there's a lot of people that think, like, I can't have a bug-out trailer, but really anybody can, right? Yeah, look, even the smallest vehicle, even a Toyota Prius. <laughs> I love making fun of Priuses. Even the smallest Prius can pull a 500 to 1,000-pound trailer. And, they, yeah, they make trailers that small. Harbor Freight sells them. Other places sell them. There are trailer places. Just go look on Craigslist and type in uh, flat trailer or trailer, and you'll find places sell trailers for very reasonable prices. They'll even install the little uh, two-inch uh, two uh, uh, hitch onto the back of your car. It gets mounted to the frame. You can hook up your your trailer, and you can you can easily have. I mean, if you can pull a thousand pounds, that's five hundred pounds of trailer, five hundred pounds of supplies. That's a lot of supplies. Well, and it's it's not just supplies. A lot of times, it would be you know there is the point. Like you kind of made the comment earlier about the guy saying, you know, I'm going to get my stuff and let the insurance handle the rest. But I, I guarantee you, if our listeners will take a walk around their house today and just yeah. start looking at things that they really wouldn't want to leave behind. The capacity in your vehicle will run out before the desire to save things probably will. 
I gotta take my 70-inch television. Yeah, and maybe that'd be one I wouldn't take. But if that's you and you got the time and, and you got the space, then, then brother, take your 70-inch TV, you know. And, and even a small trailer like that greatly expands what you can take with you. And if you do end up in a shelter or something like that, what, what I would want to be is using that for additional support, not really taking up a rack space. Mm -hmm. I, I, I spent... Uh, about two weeks at a place called Golfa de Mosquitos. Guess what they had there? Uh, what? in Honduras, they had mosquitoes, of course, <laughs> right? And he said it right on the map. Like, you can't be complaining about this. It's what it's called. Uh, so in Honduras and sleeping in this giant, uh, aircraft bay mm -hmm. with about 500 other soldiers in racks, you know, about six inches apart and your gear shoved under your rack. Mm -hmm. And it's not fun. It's not fun at all. I, I wasn't excited about it. I wasn't like, gee, I hope we do that again next week. Um, so I, I've, I've done that. If I have to do that, I can do that. But I'd rather let somebody else sleep next to 500 other stinking people and have my own space. Let me tell you, if you think you're going to get a hotel in the state of California right now, think again. The supply for hotels is very short, and it's very aggravated right now according to the Cal Fire guy. Um, in fact, Cal Fire looked at the video feeds of all the people escaping their different areas. At least 50% of the people had campers, trailers, or boats, and or toy haulers and trailers getting out. So the campgrounds are full in most places, too. There are lots of people in parking lots, Walmart, schools, churches, Uh, best place to bug out is a friend's house. Second best place is a school. Third best place is a church parking lot. Yeah, definitely. So, definitely the, the, the friends thing is a, is a good plan. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, oh, I'm not going to be in the gymnasium. I'm going to be in a hotel. Guess what? You might go to 20 hotels. They're all full. You might find your butt in a gymnasium. Wouldn't you be happier if you had your own bug out trailer in the parking lot of the school and at least you had a place to escape to to get away from the other people even if you did go inside and sleep at least if you had a tent in your trailer you can pop the tent in the gymnasium have a little private space well and you know you know when you go to a friend's house too there's a lot to be said for that like because it depends right like if you came here I got a queen size bed and a full room and a bathroom up there for you. But if there's five of you or six of you, that starts to wear out. And I know about you, but I'm one of those guys that when I go visit somebody and I've been there about three or four hours, I start kind of pacing around. I'm mm -hmm. ready to leave. I want my own space back. I want my stuff. Right. So if you go to a friend's house and they, you know, not everybody has a guest room or two. And so you might use their shower and stuff like that, and not even just out of a sense of obligation to them, but just for yourself to be able to, like, I got my space out here. There, there's a huge mental boost to that. Well, you know what? My Actually, I'm going to steal a term that my, my ex-wife coined, and that is a nest. You want your own, you want your own little nest. And it's like everywhere I go, I want, I gotta have my stuff that I have around me when I fall asleep, a little light, my charger and stuff for my phone and my tablet and my medications I have to take before I go to bed and something to read and a little something like a little box of Cheez-Its to snack on and, 
some bottles of water with some squeeze-in flavoring for them. And but you know, you know, that is listen to this, guys. When you are taking your own stuff pre-planned in a bug-out trailer, this is especially if important if you have kids, and it's extremely important if you got kids that are on any type of spectrum like autism. And then you're displacing them and putting them into a really weird environment. Listen to this. Make them a nest. Take some of their stuff from home. You know, bring the teddy bear along that they gave up a year ago in their, in your bug out stuff and everything because in times of stress, they'll gravitate towards that. Pop up a tent and put down, uh, their sleeping bag and every, and everything else and the teddy bear and give them your phone or your tablet with some movies on it, some Disney stuff or whatever. And it's like, give them your little nest because the stress of evacuating and the stress of the unknown that you heard in that lady's voice and the devastation that happens, let alone if you have a family member that's missing, hurt, or has been, God forbid, has been killed, the stresses on you, the mental anguish is going to be extreme. And the more you can have, literally, okay, the more you can have that little nest of your own, that little private little nest of your own, the more comfortable and the better this experience is going to be for you. This could be one of the worst days or weeks in your entire life with you and your family. Like I said, people could die. People could be missing or hurt. You could be losing your house. You got great deals of uncertainty. The better you plan for this and the better you prepare, the better you are going to remember this event in your mind. And there's one thing when I was going through the abbreviated uh, police academy for the sheriff reserve, they said, my instructor, Mike Crow, said, told us in the very beginning, he says, you are going to have the burden and you are going to have the responsibility of possibly being with someone on the worst day in your in their life. How you treat them, what you say to them, what you do and how you help them will forever shape in their mind how they remember that day for the rest of their life. And that is what you are going to do through preparedness of a bug out situation, even if it's just a checklist. Look at that email. Look at how that guy remembers that day. He remembers it so well he wanted to share it with us and wanted us to share it with you. Because he remembers that day so well, he had a checklist. He was done with his checklist and ready to evacuate so quickly. He didn't just hop in the car and get on out of the place. He went and helped his neighbors. Yeah. I, you know, he wasn't. He wasn't going to. You know, that not only puts you first. You got to take care of yourself and your family, and then you can take care of other people. But first, you got to take care of your family, and you're only going to do that in a time of stress, in a time of disconcertation when you have a checklist when you have practiced your checklist when you have game played this role played it even if you've done it mentally how are you going to take care of your 75 year old neighbor 
if you haven't taken care of yourself first. So the other thing is with your bug out trailer, stores can get cleaned out, especially if it's one of the two supply roads going in and out of an area like the main highway up and down California. What is it, five? You know, say the part of the northbound part gets cut off. Uh, your supplies coming from the north to the south can get cut off, and your stores can run out of food and other uh, water and other items. Now, this this happens all the time uh, in hurricanes in like Texas and Florida. People evacuate north, and they're like a like a, a locust moving through. They go through all these little towns trying to get the heck out because the highways are clogged up, three destinations, three routes each, and they're trying to get out, and they stop by the Walmart to get food and water and stuff, and they clean the whole place out. And the people who are inland, who are safe where they are, but in the path of the evacuation, now all of a sudden they find themselves with like, hey, where's all the food and the water? So having your own stuff for your own preparedness and home and your bug out trailer, you might not be in the path of the fire, but you might be in the path of the people evacuating the fire, and that might affect you. Well, uh, and I think we need to like with your comments right there in mind. You think to think about the size of this is an issue right now. We keep talking about California, and that's where the biggest fires are. That's where the news people are coming from. Uh, just two days ago, a guy named Mark on the TSP Facebook forum posted a screenshot of all the fires that are currently going and being monitored right now. Yep. He also, you'll like this, his 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 one-sentence one post that went with the picture, bug out trailer is loaded and ready to go if need be. Yay! So, so kudos to Mark. But these fires range from Vancouver down to Baja, Mexico, across to Chihuahua, Mexico, over to south of San Antonio, Texas, and just east of Houston, northeast of Dallas, Texas, back across the uh, Texas panhandle, Oklahoma panhandle, up through Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, pretty much the entire western United States from Texas over right now, except for places like Kansas and South Dakota and stuff. And there's a little bit there, but mostly not there because they don't have trees. Uh, <laughs> right. It doesn't look like a fire map. I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like a lightning strike map. Yep. That's how much is going on right now. So even some of you think, well, I'm not in the western United States. Like I said, we had this happen in Arkansas. Um, any place that gets dry enough and you get the right situation, you have fires. And guys, the mountains are some of the worst because Steve was talking about the, uh, the, the way that fires create their own ecosystems. Well, let me tell you something. When a fire's burning down down the side of a hill coming from the top down, in general, it goes pretty slow. When it hits that valley in the bottom and starts going back up the other side, guess what? It is it is nitrous oxide into the engine. And and those things take off quick. So that's why you gotta and like you're saying, like kind of continue on with this about things running out. Is is something like this widespread happens. There's other issues people haven't talked that you thought about. It's not just people who are in a fire zone that are leaving. These fires are affecting hundreds and hundreds of square miles. They're putting metric millions of tons of smoke into the air that can be smelled the next state over. There's air quality issues, and people who have asthma and COPD and other lung issues, they got to leave. 
they can't take the smoke. They can't take that particulate load and odor in the air. They got to hop in the car and leave. So you're dealing with people trying to find hotels and food and water and everything else and restaurants, not just evacuating from the fire, uh, but also from people who are just leaving because of respiratory and, and air quality issues. And there's just people who are leaving who are just, some are just tired of smelling the smoke. So even in Oregon, uh, with someone else I talked to, the campgrounds and hotels are full because of people leaving because of not just the evacuation, but the air quality issues as well. I mean, there are, uh, when you lose your house, your insurance company calls you after you call them. They're booking hotels for people two, three, and four hours away from where their house burned down because that's where the closest hotels are. They say, sorry, your house burned down. Now you got to drive four hours away to a strange hotel and get there. You know, let me hold you there for just a second before you continue. Um, on the hotels, I'm actually a very big fan of bugging out to a hotel. I yeah. think it's fantastic. They have a breakfast buffet, right? They yep. got a, they got like usually a big kind of meeting area where you can meet with people. They've mm -hmm. got a nice room. They've got a hot shower. But like you say, they fill up really quick. Mm -hmm. A couple things I included in my documentation uh, packages. One is relatively close hotels. They're front desk numbers. Yep. If you go for see, you say they're all full, but somebody's in there. Mm -hmm. And the person that, that is paying attention and reacts first can get something that's closer. The next thing yep. is, it's a good idea to find out in the past, because you'll see it's like a cloud that expands out where these, you know, these hotels. So what is the drop-off point? The last time there was a major disaster in your area, what was the point if you went at least that far, you could get something? Knowing what that is is a good idea, and then you can kind of map out, just, just like FEMA does, like an area of effect and how that will spread. Think of it like a snake bite where they put, you know, uh, Sharpie marker marks on you to track the expansion. This mm -hmm. grows. Get ahead of it. Know where to be ahead of it. And, you know, maybe you are bugging out to the freaking Ramada. Because I, I like to camp and all, but with my, you know, if, let's say if I had to take my grandkids and my son and my daughter-in-law and my wife and my dogs. I want a suite. I want, it, I want the penthouse if I can get it. Mm -hmm. You know? I mean, honest to God. So, like... Just by being alert and knowing who you would call, and I, I do that with everything. I know who I, I have. I have three different phone numbers for people who come here and break out chainsaws and start clearing trees off the house. Mm -hmm. And people are like, "Well, why? You 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 know how to do that? You got multiple chainsaws. I could be screwed up. Yep. Like if some kind of major event happened, my wife can pull out the book and make those phone calls, and I can worry about getting better. Yep. And I can't afford to get hurt and then hurt worse. So. Just have that mental preparedness. Anyway, go back to what you're saying. I just kind of wanted to you know, bring that into that. Those are all wonderful things, Jack. And the other thing you might be doing, you might not be disabled. You might be helping someone else. Absolutely. You might be, you might be helping your neighbor and there's a tree through your roof. It's like, Dorothy, can you call Joe and have him come over with his chainsaw? Yeah, sure. You know, if you called me and said, Hey, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks, Jack. You called me. You called. You texted me once and said you were in jail. <laughs> I wasn't really in jail. That was I a know. great night. I sent that to everybody. I'll even tell that story on the air. So I made this text up, and it was an audio text. And I, Steve was the only one that called back just to make sure it was a joke. And I was like, uh, 
I, I need to get this sent out before they come take my phone. Uh, I got pulled over, and uh, they're, they're going to take me to jail. And I said the actual words. I'll, I'll abbreviate it here to more uh, PG-friendly. Uh, they said they were looking for one badass MFer and one retard, and uh, they got me, so you better pack up your helmet and your crayons and get the uh, F out of Dodge. And I sent this to, like, everybody on my contact list. And Steve called back to make sure that it was just a joke, that I wasn't drunk or something. And and in that actual situation. So, yeah. <laughs> and you know what I should have done? I should have gone and posted it on the Facebook forum, the TSP Facebook oh, forum. I posted. I, I don't have any, that actually came from Brian Black is the one that started that whole thing from ITS Tactical. But he had, like, a generic version. I'm like, it'll sell much better. If, if, if I do it, but you know, you got to admit when you got that call, you had that oh crap moment. Like, and also thinking like, of all the people, why would he send this to me? Right? <laughs> like, I'm in Pennsylvania or Michigan or whatever, and he's in Texas. Uh, but like, and when I say, so I, I, Brian, I had him pulled too because he's like, he was always already scheming how to get you out before I realized it was my <laughs> joke. Um, but you know, that, that oh crap moment, that's kind of what we're talking about here. That's why I want yeah. to tell a story, you know. Having that oh crap moment is a big part of the mental preparedness. And we've all had those moments. And just think that a lot of times you get that moment, and it's just like that joke I played on you. It's like, oh crap. Uh, okay, it's, it's, it's not really a big deal. Yeah. But, I mean, if I was close to you and you called me and said, hey, Steve, can you come over and help me? You know, we got some bad winds and stuff here. It's like, yeah, of course, I'll be over right sure. away, Jack. Sure. And I mean, there might be, it might be that there's, you might be really good at that. And my neighbor might need something that I'm really good at. And it right. might just be that, you know, it, I'm pretty good with a chainsaw. But maybe I, let's say I'm not. Well, then it makes sense that I would go do what I am better at for somebody else and maybe have them do it for me. So having that prepared and ready to go. Um, but there's, I mean, you're right. There's a lot of people that have to leave because of things that aren't directly part of that disaster. There's a lot of resource issues that come up. You also have some interesting facts about, like, you know, roofing materials and stuff like that in California. Oh, yeah. Um, all new houses are built with roofing. All new, all roofing material in California now can't be flammable. <laughs> so embers can't learn, land on your roof. But what happens is embers actually go down and up into your soffit vents. And then the embers get into your attic and start a fire and burn your house down that way. Or you got a deck outside, a wood deck, and ember will land in like the crook of the deck in the corner and the wind will be blowing on it and it'll be like a little blacksmith's forge. Catch your deck on fire and catch your house on fire. This could be your neighbor's house, which catches on fire and catches your house on fire and you catches the next one. Okay, so there's other interesting story. He told me about an 80-year-old lady. Firefighters are sitting there, you know, watching this 80-year-old lady on her roof with a big gulp cup. Not even a bucket or a hose, <laughs> but a big gulp cup. And as the embers are coming by and landing on her roof, she's going and putting a little dab of water on every ember to put out the embers. And this determined old lady, you know, product of the recession, now I mean of the Great Depression, uh, she saved her house. Uh, the other interesting things is people don't realize that once there's a fire going on, it's a no-fly zone. People will put their drones up at a couple hundred to a thousand feet to, to actually look at the fire, to see where the fire is, which is what I said I would do. He goes, oh, people do that all the time in California. 
we got to have the police go by and ask them not to do it, not to fly it, because it keeps the low-flying helicopters and the waterborne aircraft from doing their job when they see drones blinking in their way. Wow. Uh, he says, if you are that concerned that you got to put a drone up to see where the fire is, get out now anyways. That makes sense. So helping others, if you're not affected by the uh, the fires, and the Cal Fire situation is very well organized. They got it down to a science. Everyone knows where the evacuation centers are. Everyone's geared up. Everyone's funded. Mutual aid is in place. You know, stuff's going to happen. But there are still people who slip through the cracks. In fact, I'm, I should be looking at... We were told by the fire people in California, CAC team, don't bother, we're too well organized. But what uh, I learned from my talk with him is during the first day or two, there are people who slip through the cracks, especially like church parking lots and churches. The church will open the doors and turn on the AC, and they'll put kids' movies up on the church projector and everything else, and they won't have much in the way of supplies. So if you can, bring snacks and water to the churches, to other areas. If you're not affected and you can help people. The other thing he said, let kids be kids and let the kids play. If When you show up with some water and snacks, if you stop by Walmart and pick up some of those $2 balls they got in that great big pvc pipe bin uh in the middle of the store and drop off some balls for the kids the kids will play for hours and hours and hours with nothing but something as simple as a ball running and kicking it around outside a ball (laughs) a two dollar ball can entertain a dozen kids for hours and hours uh he says if you want people sometimes show up with popcorn and a laptop with a bunch of kids movies and while they're helping at the uh at the at the church with the refu- with people who are evacuated, all the kids will get around their laptop and there'll be like a dozen of them laying on the ground on their bellies with their legs up in the air, all watching some Disney movie on some laptop with an eight hour battery. Um, you don't have to if you're going to go to a Red Cross shelter, you have to be trained and certified. But churches that are not official shelters, they'll take any warm breathing body to help. And it is the unofficial policy of CAL FIRE, law enforcement, emergency services, and other first responders to never turn away treats. <laughs> All CAL FIRE trucks and rigs are self-sufficient for X number of days, but no one turns down cookies. In fact, a Harris favorite for emergency food and comfort food for firefighters and refugees are bake biscuits you can bake a hundred biscuits at a time in your oven at home they take 12 minutes to bake all you gotta do is get some biscuit mix mix it up with water roll a dough roll it out and i use a big gulp cup a big gulp cup to cut biscuits so i got great big large circular biscuits not little ones i just went to gordon food service they got packets of honey they got packets of jam uh packets of butter uh, you can take these to the first responders. You take a quart Ziploc bag. You put four biscuits in it, four little packets of honey, like two packets of honey and two packets of jelly or whatever combination you want. Give them out Ziploc bags, and you can reach in, grab a biscuit, eat it, put some honey on it. 
in the, in the bag, you can eat them all, or you, it'll stay good for a week in the bag. So it's something you they can put in their turnout gear and have available for them as they're on the line and have something to snack on. You got a pickup truck, got a 2,000-watt inverter generator like we've been talking about on uh, the TSP Facebook group. Uh, you got a Keurig coffee maker or two. <laughs> Get a bunch of water, a bunch of cheap flavored coffees and teas, Sam's and Walmart, and go make yourself a mobile caffeination station. Ask the firefighters and the police, ask them if, if they want it by the cup or if you, they want it intravenously. <laughs> make a cup for each of them. It's like, what flavor do you want? Oh, I'll take hazelnut. You got hazelnut? Sure, I'll make you a hazelnut coffee. You know, make them a coffee, get some styrofoam cups, and pass them out. And, Go ahead. And the other, I got one more thing to announce before we end the show, and that is I am, people have asked, I am officially in Michigan. And I am staying in Michigan. And people have brought this up, and this is going to happen. There are going to be work with Harris days, like there were work with Jack days, coming up to do interesting things at my place regarding to preparedness and bug-out trailers and water filtration and all the other fun stuff. There is a group on Facebook called TSPers, T-S-P-E-R-S, in Michigan. This is only for TSP people. This is only for people in Michigan, and right now there are only about 28 members. So if you are in Michigan and you want to be a part of TSPers in Michigan, go there and sign up and make it part of your feed, because when I'm ready to do stuff and everything else, I will post in advance on TSPers in Michigan Find out how many people want to come over and do some absolutely weird and wild and crazy stuff with Steve. And you can come on over. It's not going to be, my place isn't as big as Jack's, you know, but I don't, I don't know. I'm, I might be able to get a barter blanket going. I don't sure, know. Sure, sure. You know, I, it's funny you bring that up because what I was going to suggest here for people is like building community and getting people thinking about this is hugely important. When you, you know, If you bug out from an area, it's going to be the people around you bugging out with you. And the more they have their shit together, to be blunt, the better off you are. Yep. Right? And the more, the more that you, you can create helpers, then the more people you can help and the more people can be helped. So one of the really easy things to do, you know, you talk about charging up devices and all. Everybody in this audience that wants to anyway, by now, should be able to bug out for three days without any, any heartache whatsoever. Right. From the most basic standpoint, I don't care if you got a tent or whatever, but an inverter, backup, ba you know, and loop batteries, uh, multiple charging devices for your vehicle, and knowing where the heck you're going, and, you know, a clamp-on 800-watt inverter. You can do so much with that right there. You throw in a few packs of crackers and some bottled water and some beef jerky and a three-day kit. And anybody in this country that's not living well below the poverty line, because you can do it at the poverty line, yep. can be ready to be able to at least deal with their general shit in life for the next three days in a week's time with under a couple hundred dollars invested for their whole family. Yeah, actually, you can do it for less. You can I'm, do it with I'm nothing going, but. I'm yep. going full tilt, Harris Spearco. You've got the inverter for fifty bucks. I'm, you know, you've got twenty. 
Yeah, you can get a cheap one, right? I'm talking about an 800 water. But, yeah, you can do it that way. But, so, you know, I'm talking extension cords, three-way power splitters, everything. You can do it for mm -hmm. a few hundred dollars. If you have that set up, if you're finally finishing up on that part of your preparedness, reach out to churches in your area. Talk mm -hmm. to the pastor, the priest, depending on what kind of church it is, you know, the rabbi, if it's a synagogue. Would you like it if on, like, a Wednesday evening I came up for your people and did a basic how to be basically prepared? Spread. Take, let, the, let the preparedness spread like wildfire. Well, and you, exactly. And, I mean, the thing is, you can get one of those little, like, $25 tables that fold open like we use here for our workshops. And on mm -hmm. that one table is everything that a person needs to be prepared in their life. Most people can have a basic bug out put together for their bag for their kids by just grabbing last year's backpack because God knows you've got to get a new one every year and, right. and taking some of the clothes they don't really wear anymore that are a little bit big from the brother for the little brother and shoving them in there and a basic toilet. So you can, most of the stuff you need to have that basic stuff is already in your home. It's just organization. And if Absolutely. you can show people that, when you can show people that and they're like, oh, this is what preparedness is, because you know what people think preparedness is? It's a, they think it's the dadgone thing on TV. With mm -hmm. the, the two idiots up in the deer blind, the one, you know, uh, blowing the other guy's eardrums out or whatever the heck that episode was. You know, it's, it's, it's not that. And when people see how basic and simple it is, then they generally kind of feel like, I kind of suck that I haven't done this for my family yet. Or yeah. they go, I can do that. I can, yeah, no, that's the next step, right? So I, I kind of sucks I haven't done this, but I could go do this this week. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's one of the best things you can do because that kit – that we're talking about right there, that's your core that you build your bug-out trailer off of. Like, yes. if you're putting together a bug-out trailer and you don't have an inverter and multiple chargers for your phone and some backup AA and AAA batteries and a charger for that and a checklist, like, go do that stuff first. Yep. You put together your 72-hour bag, right? Because that's, you know, that's that, that linchpin. Put together your documentation package. That will cost you paper and a three-ring binder. And yep. printer ink, right? And I have yep. an hour and a half show on exactly how to do that. Get that stuff done and spread it. And, and, and you, you, I get people all the time, well, how do I talk to my brother? Stop trying to talk to your brother. He ain't going to listen to you. He's your brother. Go, go talk to people in your neighborhood. And, and I guarantee you, anybody that picks up the phone and, and cold called five churches and, and made that offer, one of them will say, absolutely, come on in. Yep. And the people you get, I'm not really a church-going guy, but honest to God, the people you get in churches generally are people that get stuff done. They have an organization. Yep. They have a base community there. They have a way to communicate with folks. And I bet you if you did it, what you'd get is a pretty small turnout and then a lot of excited people, and they'd ask you back, and the next time there'd be a lot more. And yep. the more we can do that, The more we can do what I've always said, we need a one nation filled with ants. Yep. Right? We, we need to get off the grasshopper mentality we've been on. I, I, we're about to wrap up. You won't be hanging out for the Song of the Day segment, but the Song of the Day segment is a song by Billy Joel. It deals with drug use and all. But there's a line in it about the fact that this kid's mom is still making his bed while he's 21 years of age. Well, this song's from like 1973. So mm -hmm. in 1973, that was like, geez, really? Your mom's making your bed at 21? These kids are lucky if they can start a lawnmower at 21, right? And, and that, but that's not their fault. It's it, and those of us that know what to do, if we just keep that information to ourselves, we're culpable. We're part of the problem. 
So be part of the solution. Steve, you definitely have been part of the solution here. I guess going back, I think the first time I had you on was about eight years ago. It was, uh, I looked it up. Uh, I'm uh, actually putting together a private Stephen Harris membership site that has all of my stuff on it and a lot more. Uh, you know, it's a way that you can support Steve Harris at like two bucks a month or thereabouts. And, uh, so I had to go through and put, get all my TSP shows and everything. Um, I was, I started with you in 2011 with the first show on, uh, biomass, uh, gas, uh, anaerobic digestion. And this makes between the bug out shows and the regular episodes, not including like what I did were for a CAC team with you. This is show number 25 for me. And I've done over 155 uh, expert panel questions. Wow. Wow. So it's, about, it's been about seven years that we've been working together. Well, I just want to take a moment there and thank you and uh, remind the audience real quick here as we wrap up. Our 10-year anniversary party is Saturday. So wow. we've had a decade. Well, actually, our decade was officially in, in June. But we're celebrating a decade of TSP. And I get emails from people all the time about how grateful they are myself, you, all the rest of the expert council, the guests, all the things that they know about in their life. I'm just saying, share it. And I know yep. many of you want to share it, and you're frustrated because you're trying to share it, and the people that you care about the most won't listen to you. When it comes to like your parents, Dave Ramsey, when he talks about money and debt management, he calls it powdered butt syndrome. And basically, yep. somebody that changed your diaper is not going to take advice from you about money. And, and there's, there's, a, there's versions of that at various levels, that are going to be that way in your life, and I still think you should talk to those people. But you know, if your if your brother in law happens to go to the church that you show up at to do that, all of a sudden he'll probably listen to you too. Hey, uh, if you learn stuff from me, you don't have to get your friends and neighbors and your rel and your relatives to listen to me. You just get them to listen to you. Take what I taught you, do it yourself, own it, and then teach it to someone else. Like the thing with uh, doctors that see one, do one, teach one. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. Take my stuff and steal it. Yeah. Please. And use it to teach other people. And if you want to know stuff for bugging out and list of things and some of the stuff we use and inverters and batteries and power, go to Stephen1234.com. It's my main hub for my stuff and it will allow, it'll lead you to my other 1234 websites. And you can see a whole bunch of stuff on Amazon and things that I have and my descriptions, what I have to say about them. It's a great place to start. That and YouTube, fabulous resource. Well, but, and uh, I get the same stuff all the time, Steve. You know, can I? Can I share your stuff? I, go forth, please. be fruitful, multiply. I, you know, about the only thing that I want to hear from, if you, if you start thinking you're going to like, uh, like, like, make my audios into files and start selling them, then we, we got to talk. But, I mean, otherwise, right. if you're doing your own thing with the information you got here, it's not my information. It's not your information. This is things we've learned from other people as well. Some mm -hmm. of it we've taken and made our own here and there. But in the end, there's, there's only so many ways to build a fire. There's only so many ways to cook food, right? And, and, and we're just making that information into a format where people can take it. So please take it. Please share it. Yeah, and just wait for the first person to come to you someday and say, hey, you know what you taught me two, three years ago? We had to use it. You, you, cha you changed the entire situation for us. You know, wait till someone comes back and tells you that. Um, 
I, you know, go, go for it. Take, take our stuff and teach others. Please, please do it. Well, Steve, again, man, I thank you for being with us today and for, for seven years of uh, working with us as well. And uh, I guess we'll be back in, in uh, the ninth month of September with the ninth Bug Out Trailer Show because we ain't done yet. <laughs> Bug Out Trailer Show number nine coming up. Thanks, Jack. And TSP, I, I love it. It is such a creative outlet. It's a place for me to share it's a place for me to do my charity and help others. Uh, it's really a, 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 a thing of passion uh, that I personally get personal satisfaction with. And thanks for providing me with such a great platform to reach such a great community of people. Awesome, man. Well, again, thanks for being with us today. Okay. Thank you, Jack. Bye. So great stuff as always with Stephen Harris. I really appreciate him. I want you guys to know that... This series could not be what it is without Steve. I, I do almost no legwork on this series. Steve uh, does all the data collection, all of the you know reaching out to people, all of getting supporting materials, uh, has, has gone through the book of questions that you guys have asked, puts together an outline and sends it to me uh, usually Monday evening of the, you know, the Monday before the first Tuesday of the month. And I set up the show notes as always and, and take it from there. And uh, so I owe him a debt of gratitude. And seven years of working with us is, is pretty impressive. Anyway, guys, I want to remind you, if you like this show and the work that I do, there, there's two ways that you can support us. The first way is by becoming a member of the Member Support Brigade. You know, you'll get discounts on stuff you're probably going to buy anyway. You take those discounts, that pays for your membership. And I hear from people all the time that say they make a couple hundred dollars a year by being a member. Uh, so, uh, so do consider becoming a member today. Uh, but don't. Don't do it. I, I'm one of these people that will actually do something most people don't do. I don't want anybody to join the MSB today. Because we are hitting our 10-year anniversary, and I'm going to roll out a sale tomorrow on MSB. And uh, So don't join today. Wait till tomorrow, and you'll get a really great discount. And it will be one of those discounts that applies to every year that you renew. So uh, hold off one day on that. But the other way you can help us, and you can use this anytime you want and help support us, and it, it doesn't cost you a daggone dime to do it, and that's just when you're going to buy some online, shop through tspaz.com. Go to tspaz.com. You can see all the reviews that I've done, and, and, and if you see something reviewed there, you know I, I own it, I use it, I, it's in my personal possession. I would spend my money on it again if I needed another one, or I wouldn't ask you to. And... One of my big passions is cooking, and I think that cooking and preparedness go hand in hand. And if, if you gave me one implement to cook with, uh, let's say you could have a, a pot or a kettle for boiling water, and you get one other implement to cook with, it would probably be a carbon steel skillet. Because I can do anything with that. I can fry with it. I can saute with it. I can roast with it. I can do anything. I can put it in an oven. I can put it on a fire. I can put it on a, a portable stove. I can put it on a gas range. I can put it on an induction range. I can throw it on a dadgum grill. And, and my go-to is the Lodge Carbon Steel Season Skillet. I have that up for review for you guys today. There's several different sizes of them that are available. I pretty much have standardized. I have an 8-inch and a couple 12s. I use mostly the 12s. The 8-inch is nice for small amounts of little things here and there. Uh, and it will actually fit on another burner next to a larger pan. That's why I have a couple small ones as well. Um, I posted this on Facebook today, as I always do. I always put all my posts that go on the blog also on Facebook and Twitter. And somebody said, I prefer a Griswold cast iron skillet. 
I understand. And I was a cast iron purist for a lot of years. And the truth is I now have a lot of beautifully seasoned uh, old cast iron pans that don't get a lot of love. They don't get a lot of use. I started using these carbon steel skillets. And to me, they're a better tool 90% of the time. There's things I love cast iron for. I still have a great big cast iron uh, Dutch oven. It's great for that. I have a big lodge uh, cast iron griddle, and big square griddles, and I, there's things I really like that for. It's got a lot of surface area and things like that. But when it comes to day-to-day cooking, uh, I'm always reaching for these carbon steel skillets. Uh, they're easy to maintain. They're as stick-free as anything out there. They don't get ruined. You can get screaming high temperatures in them. And the reason I prefer them to cast iron is cast iron does a really good job of holding heat. That's true. That's not something you always want. It's nice to be able to drop heat quickly when you need to. Carbon steel holds it, but it, you know it will have a quicker reaction when you're bringing the heat down. But it also heats up faster, and it heats up hotter for most people with their stoves. I have a pretty Haas stove. Pretty heavy-duty burners, uh, gas. And when I think of somebody trying to move you know, the, the temperature of a big, heavy cast-iron skillet up to just do something like make some bacon and eggs versus using a thinner, faster-heating carbon steel skillet, it didn't, doesn't make sense to me. It's wasting energy. It's wasting electricity. For preparedness, you know, being able to conserve the gas, being able to conserve the electricity, etc., is huge. So I really recommend you check these out. They're at tspaz.com. They're on the blog today at the survivalpodcast.com. Lodge Carbon Steel Season Skillet, item of the day. And whenever you shop at T-Spaz, no matter what you buy, you help support the Survival Podcast and the work that we do. With that, let's talk about our song of the day. Uh, the song of the day today might sound, if you've never heard it before, like uh, a song about me, Captain Jack. But, of course, it's Billy Joel week, and Captain Jack is a drug dealer. Now, I've done some things in my life that I'm not exactly proud of, and I've done some things in my life that the government wouldn't like. I'll admit that. And some of those things the government wouldn't like, I don't really care as long as they don't know. But I don't, I don't deal drugs, especially the kind of drugs. We're talking about hard drugs here, a little push. So that, that, that kind of tells you what you're talking about there. Though there are some comments that come into this song about uh, you know smoking pot as well. But this really is about kind of a – it sounds to me like the song's generally speaking about heroin. And Captain Jack is a real person that Billy Joel observed and knew and saw in this one particular park in New York. Uh, and then, but it's really an amalgamation of different types of people, and it's based on different people that he knew are the different stanzas and verses of the song talking about their, their problems. So it's not really just centered on the dealer. It's centered more on the people that are the users, and the way that they lived their life in such an unfulfilling way. And this song was, you know, it came out in the 70s and everybody was high, and people kind of saw it as like a, a pro-drug song, but like so many songs about drugs, it's actually very much an anti-drug song. Remember we talked yesterday about how Billy Joel had, had nearly taken his own life and uh, fortunately failed to do so because the music that he's made since then uh, is incredible. Uh, this song, though, is long, and it is, to me... An example of Billy Joel's musical genius, the ability to tell stories with a song. And you might think I'm crazy, but in a lot of ways I see a lot of um, similarities between Billy Joel and one of my other favorite people in music, Jimmy Buffett. Telling stories about real people and real influences in their lives, both good and bad. So I hope you enjoyed today's show. I hope you enjoy this song. It's a little longer than they usually are. 
And uh, I do hope you take to heart kind of some of the stuff that Stephen and I were talking about. It'd be really easy to set up a basic bug-out bag, an inverter, battery charging system, a few snacks, basic, you don't even have to do the full uh, evacuation pack, uh, documentation package uh, that, that, I, uh, that I mentioned. Just the, the basics, the most basics of it, and, and be able to just go out and set up a table at, at, at a church or a community center or even your garage if you want to do it on something like next door and just tell people they can come by and learn about it and, and share with people how simple it is to be prepared to have to leave your home. And, and then you just hope to God that when you leave it, there's going to be one to come back to. But, but there may not be. And that's why you're leaving in the first place. That basic act of kindness and sharing preparedness will pay dividends for you and your community in, in so many ways. And if you do this, I'm telling you, if you do this, people tell people that tell people that tell people. It's probably the case you'll save someone's life and you may not even know it. You may not even know it. It might be five, six, seven degrees of separation between that first act and the way that it plays out. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Help you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Saturday night and you're still hanging around. You're tired of living in your one-horse town. Like to find a little hole in the ground for a while. Mm-hmm. So you go to the village in your tie-dye jeans, and you stare at the junkies and the closet queens. It's like some pornographic magazine. And you smile Captain Jack will get to high tonight Take it to your special island Captain Jack will get you by Sister's gone out, she's on a date, and you just sit at home and masturbate. Your phone is gonna ring soon, but you just can't wait for that call. Mm-hmm. So you stand on the corner in your new English clothes. And you look so polished from your hair down to your toes. Oh, but still your fingers gonna pick your nose after all.
decide to take a holiday You got your tape deck and your brand new Chevrolet Oh, there ain't no place to go anyway What for? Got everything, oh, but nothing's cool. They just found your father in the swimming pool, and you guess you won't be going back to school anymore. But Captain Jack can get you high. Your mother makes your bed And that's too long 